Welcome back to another episode of Freedomology, the podcast. I am your host, Julie Christensen, also known as the Anger Lady. And I am here today to have a discussion with you about the value and the power of forgiveness. This is a subject that I've seen coming up quite a lot lately, almost as though the universe keeps reminding me that it's an important topic and perhaps a timely occasion for us to discuss it now. There's been a lot going on in the news around incivility and anger and aggression in the political arena and lots of discussion around how voters have taken to the streets, but not in a respectful way, but in a way that is spewing hate and vitriol against the leaders of our country. And I don't really want to talk about politics today. It's, that's not my jam. Those of you who know me know that I really don't care to discuss politics, not publicly anyway. I have my opinions and I keep them to myself. I express them when I go to vote. Other than that, there are other ways in which we are seeing incivility, anger, and aggression play out in our society. And it's concerning, you know, it's concerning. I do think though, that what I'd like to talk about today is the concept of forgiveness and acceptance because it's an integral part of the anger resolution process. One that I probably don't talk about enough, but it is an important aspect of the anger resolution process nonetheless. So I think where I'd like to begin is to just give you a little bit of background around how I started conceptualizing forgiveness as part of the anger resolution process. Because back in the day, you know, when I first developed anger solutions, I wasn't really thinking too much about forgiveness. I was really just thinking about how do we help our clients to resolve these big feelings in a way that doesn't hurt them or hurt other people. And as I was working through some of the components of the program, and after running it a couple of times, I realized that people had some deep-seated stuff. Very naively, I think we went into conceptualizing anger in the early days as something that was very reactive, not necessarily something that stayed with you for years and years as a result of trauma and all those sorts of things. Moving forward a few years into running the program and tweaking it, I realized that for some people, they didn't have a way to resolve their anger effectively. If that meant having a conversation with the person who contributed to the anger in the first place, if that person had died, if that person was in prison, if that person was so intimidating, so frightening that the individual experiencing the anger really didn't feel safe or comfortable having a conversation to work it through and to problem solve. And some things just can't be worked through. They can't be problem solved. If you're a victim of childhood sexual abuse, the problem was never yours. Can I just say that again? If you were the victim of childhood sexual abuse, whether that's by a family member, colleague, peer from school, a friend of the family, a babysitter, a teacher, whatever it is, the problem never lied with you. It was not your problem. It was their problem. And they sought to resolve that problem by molesting a minor, okay? The problem never was with you. The problem that you have now 
stems from the effects of that trauma. And that's the problem that needs resolving. That's why you go to a therapist. That's why you seek someone who is trauma-informed, who can help you to process what happened to you to make sense of it, even though the sense is going to be horrible, but you're still going to make sense of it. And then find a way to move on from there and to live your life to the fullest as much as you can. On the other side, the person who perpetrated that crime continues to have the problem, right? And may or may not be doing what's necessary to resolve that. So in a case like that, it doesn't make sense really to try and seek out that person who harmed you in such a horrible way and try to have a conversation with them to see if you can resolve the problem. It is not your responsibility to help your abuser solve their problem. I'm going through this slowly because I want to make sure that you're hearing me. It's not your responsibility to help the person who harmed you to solve their problem. Your responsibility is to resolve your problems. Okay. So in those cases, when someone has an issue that arises out of a traumatic event, and it doesn't make sense to go back and try to resolve the problem with the person who perpetrated that trauma, there's a lot of anger and it hangs around. And the more you think about what happened to you, how it happened, who the person was who did that to you and how could they do that? Somebody that you trusted and they betrayed that trust, anger comes up and unforgiveness comes up. I wanna get into the research of forgiveness in a little bit. But before I do that, I'd like to tell you a couple of stories. The first story that I heard, and I'm just paraphrasing, and I don't have the rights, you know, like I don't have the rights to repeat these. These are stories that I've heard through the media, through YouTube videos and that sort of thing. But I'd just like to share a couple with you. The first I'd like to share is Dr. Everett Worthington. Dr. Everett Worthington is a Christian person in ministry and a researcher. And he had just started the work of researching forgiveness and its role in helping people to heal. When his mother died, I believe it was, I think he said Thanksgiving, but I don't know for sure. I believe it was Thanksgiving or maybe it was New Year's Eve. In any case, 17-year-old male with a couple of friends decided they were going to break into, into houses because people would be out celebrating and it would be an easy way for them to get some stuff and just have some fun. So they broke into this house and they used a crowbar to get a window open so they could get in. So he's wandering through the house and, you know, he's looking for things that he can steal. When suddenly he hears a voice that says, what are you doing in my house? He turns around and there's this old woman standing there and he panics. He panics and he thinks, this is it. I'm busted. I'm going to jail. I've got to do something. So he takes the crowbar that he has in his hand and he clubs her with it. And he beats her until she dies. And then he realizes what he's done and sees himself reflected in a mirror or glass lamp or whatever. And he breaks every reflective surface in the house. Cannot stand to look at himself any longer. Everett Worthington tells this story. And if, I mean, all you have to do is just go to YouTube, search Everett Worthington and forgiveness and loads of videos will come up. But he talks about the fact that he sat with his siblings processing what they had learned and thinking, if I could get my hands on this kid right now, I would beat him in the head until he dies. 
And then he was convicted of that. And he thought to himself, I actually have a darker heart than this kid because this kid acted out of panic. And I am visualizing, you know, I'm hating this child because he beat my mother till she died. And in the same breath, I'm saying, I will beat him in the head until he dies. My heart is actually darker because I am approaching this with malice while that child approached it with panic or out of panic. He got deep into forgiveness research at this point because he, he knew he needed to understand how he could let go of what had happened to his mom. Because by his own admission, and I write about this in my book, by his own admission, his heart had just started to shrivel up. He just was losing his empathy. It was interfering with his ministry. It was interfering with his work. He had to find a way to let it go. And so he introduces a concept called reach to help people to move through the stages of forgiveness. I'm not going to go into the REACH model today, but it's something that I think is worthwhile for you. If you're struggling with forgiveness today for any reason, it's good to look around and see what is out there that can help you. So I encourage you to look up the works of Dr. Everett Worthington to see what he's about and to see what the research has shown. But I'll tell you a little bit about what the research has told us. Based on Worthington's work, as well as the work of Dr. Frederick Luskin, who wrote the book Forgive for Good, what we know is that when we think about index events, as we call it in the therapeutic space, if you think about the index event and you think about the person who harmed you and feelings of unforgiveness are still attached to that event, your body will respond just as it did the first time the trauma or the event occurred. So if you were angry, angry feelings will come up. If you were afraid, if your heart rate was elevated, if your body started pumping cholesterol and sugar into your bloodstream, if you got a headache, if your neck was aching, if your heart felt like it was going to break in two, all of those physiological effects will re-emerge, they will resurface, Every time, every time you think about the event that harmed you in the first place, okay? So what this does is every time fight or flight comes up in your body, you're going to have that increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, increased production of sugar and cholesterol dumping into the bloodstream. Cortisol is being produced, which is contributing to belly fat and heart disease and stroke. Oxygen is being diverted away from the brain, away from your extremities to give you more, uh, it oxygenates your muscles and your lungs more so that you can fight or flee. The thing is, it's just a thought. There's nothing to run from. You can't run away from it because it's up here, it's in your head. But still, your body doesn't know that. It's just responding to the memory. It's a powerful memory. It's a visceral memory. And it's responding to the memory as if it's happening for the first time. So all of these effects contribute to increased risk of heart disease, increased risk for diabetes, asthma, irritable bowel, spastic colon. There are just a host of health problems that are associated with the diseases of holding on. You've probably heard me say that before. Talking about the diseases of holding on. These diseases are often pegged in the medical space as lifestyle diseases, right? They're lifestyle diseases. 
diabetes because you just eat too much junk, high cholesterol because you eat too much junk, <laughs> right? Cancer because you smoke, migraines because you have bad posture. Like they, in the medical space, it's often, they, these diseases or these ailments are often touted as things you could change if you just change your lifestyle, if you just change your diet, if you just exercise more, if you just eat more healthy. And that is to a certain extent all true. It's all true. However, not enough emphasis is placed on the things that we could do in the psychological space to improve our health. We like to separate mental health from physical health, but really we're all the same person, body, soul, mind, spirit. We're one being, right? We're multifaceted, but we're one being. And so we can't just say, well, you know, I'm going to deal with my mental health on another day, but I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat healthy because what's happening in your mind is impacting your physiology and contributing to your illnesses, your ailments, your diseases. That, my friends, is a discussion for another day. We're not going to go there today, <laughs> but it's something for you to think about. Okay. So what I'm trying to say here is that we need to resolve the hurt for our own good. That's why Dr. Luskin calls his book, Forgive for Good, right? It's not necessarily for the good of the person that harmed you. It's for your good. It's so that you can sleep better at night. It's so that your blood pressure can stay in the normal ranges, in the safe ranges. It's so that your body is not turning you into a diabetic. It's so that you're not, you know, unnecessarily forming arterial plaque, okay? And leading yourself closer and closer to death by heart disease. It's so that your stomach and your gut will function properly. It's so that you can lay your head down to rest at night and not have racing thoughts and not have nightmares and flashbacks. And it's for you. It's for you. It's not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. I want to talk a little bit about Tyler Perry's story because Tyler Perry, as we all know, I mean, he's been very candid about his early years and his journey to, to success. But I watched a video on YouTube with, with Tyler Perry talking with Dr. Joel Osteen. And he was talking about the intersection between forgiveness and success. And I thought this was brilliant. But he talked about, you know, his childhood and how he became a storyteller because he needed a way to escape the domestic violence that was happening in his home. So his father was very abusive to his mother and Tyler built a little fort, if you will, under the front porch of their house where he could hide away from the chaos that was happening inside his home. And he just, you know, told stories, right? He made up stories and those stories eventually became plays and those plays eventually made him famous. And now he's, you know, a world famous actor, playwright, screenwriter, producer, right? Owner of Tyler Perry Studios, the list goes on. But how do we get there? How do we get there? He tells the story of how God kept moving him to run a play, run his play. Produce it, put it on, present it to audiences. And every time he tried to do it, it failed. 
And he did this for years, for seven years. In year seven, somewhere between year six and year seven, he was having a conversation with his father and he was letting all of his pain and his anger out. And at the end of that release, and this is cathartic release, which I do talk about in my book. At the end of this cathartic release, he, he looked at his father and he said, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. And he meant it. Can I just say, sometimes, sometimes, y'all, we say we forgive, but we haven't really. Because forgiveness is a process. It's a journey. I'm sure he didn't all at once. You know, I'm sure Tyler Perry all at once didn't just say, oh, I'm going to forgive my dad today. I don't think he actually realized he had reached the point of forgiveness until the words came out of his mouth. That said, he said, I forgive you. And he meant it. And something in him unlocked, it released. And the next time God said to him, I want you to put this play on. Tyler was like, come on, man. Like we've been seven years at this already. But he was obedient and he said, okay, we're going to put the play on. He got a call from what had formerly been the House of Blues. It's an old church. And they said, hey, House of Blues has just moved out. We've got this building available. If you want to put your play on here, come on down. So he says, all right, we're going to do it. He pulls together the cast, does all the things, you know, does the advertising, puts it out to the community. And then they hear that there's a hurricane warning. There's a there's a storm bearing down on New Orleans. And he's thinking, this thing is never going to fly. I'm going back to the phone company, right? Like, I'm never, I'm never going to get this to work. But he said he looked out the window and there were people lined up around the building waiting to get in to see his play. And I was talking with a client about this just this week. And I was comparing Tyler Perry's story to my own story and saying to her that, you know, like things, things have slowly been happening for me, but nothing, you know, nothing really big, no big breakthroughs, so to speak. Until last year, I was talking with a friend about forgiveness. Funny that. Talking with a friend about forgiveness. I was talking about some things that had happened to me and the people that were involved. And I was very angry. I was really, like, really angry. I could feel it in my physiology. And later on that morning, a little voice in my head as I was listening to someone at this conference I was attending, speak about forgiveness, funny that, that God spoke to me and said, the reason you're so angry is that you haven't fully forgiven those people yet. You thought you had, but you hadn't let it go. And so I thought, yeah, you know what? You're right. I got to do something about that. And so I did the work of fully processing what had happened and letting it go. This is acceptance and forgiveness. And so I released them from any further responsibility. I didn't do it to their faces because I don't even know where they are. But in my mind, I released them from any further debt, any further responsibility they had to make it right because that's never probably going to happen. But I also released my heart from having to hold on to the hurt of that, of that pain, of those insults, of those offenses, right? I let it go. And then a funny thing happened. A funny thing happened, folks. Last year, things that I had been working on slowly and diligently in the background, some things that I've been working on for almost 20 years. I want you to hear this. 
almost 20 years because, you know, they say, oh, you know, this person's an overnight success, whatever. No, 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 no. It takes sometimes 20, 30 years for someone to become an overnight success. I believe that's true in my case. But some things I've been working on for almost 20 years, it was like slogging through a swamp of molasses, wearing rubber boots and just, ugh, just dragging. Then suddenly last year, my life just started to speed up. It went from slow motion to real time to fast forward. And it's been a wild and bumpy ride. But let me tell you something, people. When I let go of that last offense that I had been holding on to for so long, something opened up in here, in my heart. And I believe it opened up in the universe as well. Last year, all year, I kept hearing God's voice say to me, make room. And I believe I've mentioned this, if not in the podcast, I certainly mentioned it in my, you know, in my reels for video and in social media, make room. And I mean, we made room last year. I worked through my archived files, my assistant and I, we worked through my archives and we sent over 130 pounds of paper to Staples to be shredded last fall. My husband and I renovated our bedroom. We took our closet out. And in taking out our closet and just shifting around our furniture, putting in wardrobes instead of closet space, we added 20 square feet to our bedroom. We made room. It's bigger, it's airier, it's lighter, it's romantic space, it's comfortable. Whereas before it was just a space where we slept and otherwise it was a great annoyance because it was too small. We just kept making room and I didn't know what I was making room for. Sure, I have a vision board. I have things up there that I want with my life. You know, I have those big, hairy, audacious goals. But I didn't, I didn't know which one of them or which ones of them I was making room for. I just knew I had to make room. It's very much when a pregnant mother gets the urge to nest. She's got to clean everything up. She's got to pack that bag for the hospital. She's got to make sure that the nursery is all prepared and everything. She just knows instinctively something is coming. It's almost time to give birth. This is what it felt like for me all of last year. And that feeling never really took hold until I went through the process of forgiveness. Those of you that are listening to the podcast can't see me tilt my head right now, but those of you who know me, you just, that pregnant pause, there was a head tilt in there. <laughs> it didn't fully come to me, the need to nest, to make room for things until I let go of the stuff I was already holding on to. And this has been a recurring theme in the therapy room with my clients of late, that you cannot reach for that brass ring while you're still holding on to the trash that was in your life before. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You can't have your hands full and then expect to get more. You've got to let go of the things that no longer serve you, the things that are hurting you, the things that are holding you back from the success that you really want in your life. You cannot reach for those things while your hands are still full and you're holding on to the past with all of your might. You've got to let it go. 
And so forgiveness, forgiveness. I want to read you a little bit from my book just because, you know, I really thought it out when I was writing it and anything I say now might sound kind of stupid by comparison. So I'm going to read you the good stuff. All right. Is a forgiving heart a weak one? The sad truth is that many of us don't want to forgive others because we think that forgiveness somehow means that we condone what was done to us. People think that those who forgive are weak and that forgiveness is a sign of giving in. Here's what I hear a lot. If I forgive, then I have to forget. And I don't wanna forget. If I forget, I leave myself open to being hurt in the same way once again. To see the ability to forgive as a sign of weakness is to deprive oneself of a world of freedom. In all reality, it takes courage, strength, and a willing heart to forgive others. I have alluded to bitterness as an uncontrollable weed. If left unattended, it will continue to grow and wind all around the chambers of one's heart until the heart finally dies for lack of room to grow. To experience true forgiveness, either as the giver or the recipient, is to find real freedom. We all know that forgiveness is something we should do. The question most often asked is, how can I forgive that person for what they did to me? This is a valid question. However, it's not really the question that will produce the most effective answer. The brain is a complex computer which operates on the programming we put into it. You also know that the process of self-evaluation is simply the process of asking questions and seeking out the answers. You can use the process of self-evaluation to help leverage yourself towards forgiveness. Unfortunately, there's no magic pill that I could give you that will help you conjure up the will to forgive. The will to forgive can only come from within. So let's take a look at these definitions of forgiveness according to Webster. Forgive, to pardon, to cease to bear resentment against, to cancel as in a debt, to exercise clemency and to grant pardon. Now the definitions for the word forget, to lose remembrance of, to neglect inadvertently, or to disregard. In one of my groups, a couple was talking about how tricky this whole forgiveness thing can be. We were discussing the popular concept of forgive and forget, and the husband was saying that you can try to forgive and forget, except that whenever they get into a fight, he finds himself calling up things that his wife said or did five, 10, or 15 years ago. I asked him why he did this and he said, well, I bring those things up because I need ammunition. And my response to him was this, but I thought you were on the same side. Oh, another head pill, coupled with the one eyebrow drug, yeah. Okay, you guys feel me? What this gentleman said holds a great deal of truth. We hold on to events from the past because we need ammo for the next fight. Why do we need ammunition to use against our partners? Why? This is my theory. Nobody likes to be proven wrong in an argument. When you can't prove you're right, you lower yourself to intimidation tactics. And if you can't intimidate the other person, they will back away from the argument. If the other party doesn't let back down, you need more leverage. And now you already know that you're wrong. You start digging for memories of times when they were wrong. And you bring it into this argument so that if you succeed, the person will take the bait and go on the defensive, and now you're back in control because you've successfully diverted their attention from the issue at hand 
to the one that died several months or maybe even years ago. A few problems exist with this tactic, y'all. First problem is that the tactic often works. However, the feelings conjured up by this chain of events typically consist of more bitterness, resentment, and frustration on both parts. Each time you revive a negative or painful memory, you relive, remember what I said, you relive that painful memory, not just in your mind, but in your physiology. Calling up old transgressions inflicts new hurt on the other party. Each time you bring up something that the other party thought was resolved, you will inadvertently dwindle their levels of trust in you. If you say you've forgiven someone, which is what I said I did last year, but you bring up the old transgression every chance you get, which is what I did or was doing, it's hard for them to trust that you truly let it go. Your actions will speak louder than your words. Belief is the basis of action. Therefore, what you believe about forgiveness will determine what you do about it. If you believe that forgiveness is for the weak and you do not want to be perceived as weak, then you will choose not to forgive others. In effect, you will be choosing to let bitterness control your heart. You will be choosing to let love die in your life. You will be choosing to stop growing. If you believe that you'll only find the closure you need through forgiveness, then you'll choose to forgive. Does that mean you should forget? Perhaps, but perhaps not. Part of getting past one's past means forgetting the things that happened in the past, but we should never, ever forget the lessons that we learned from the events of our past. When we talk of forgiveness, often people believe that we need to cancel the transgression and pretend like it never happened. That may work well for financial debts, but not so for emotional ones. The fact of the matter, folks, is that transgressions against one's feelings inflict much more pain than financial indiscretions or irresponsibility. Expecting people to pretend that you never hurt them is asking too much. What we really want when we ask for forgiveness is pardon. We want to know that the anger has dissipated, perhaps that there is some understanding and that the individual of whom we seek forgiveness will free us from ongoing punishment. When we talk of forgetting, what we mean is not to entirely lose remembrance of what happened. Instead, we choose to disregard what has happened to the point that it no longer pops up every time we experience negative emotion. To disregard means to not give attention to something. In other words, we choose not to look at those events of our past for the purpose of using them against others. One of my favorite sayings applies here. Forget your past. Remember only what it taught you. And I just want to circle back around to Dr. Everett Worthington's words. He says, I think that letting go of the hatred is courageous. It's often a lot harder to forgive than it is to hold a grudge. And isn't that true? It's harder to forgive than it is to hold a grudge. Holding a grudge is easy. But like I say, for as long as you're holding the grudge, you can't grasp the next great thing that's in store for you. In order to be able to have your hands free, to hold on to something better, you've got to let it go. You've got to let the grudge go. And so that means accepting that what happened to you happened. 
it doesn't mean that you approve of it. It just means that you're stepping out of denial. You're refusing to hold on to that thing anymore. It happened. It's a thread that's been woven into the fabric and the tapestry of my life. It's in there now. I can't pull it free because if I tug on that thread and I pull it free, the whole thing unravels. So I'm just going to allow it to be there. I'm going to accept that it's there. I don't like the color of it. I don't like the placement of it, but the thread is in there and it's woven in there now. But I'm going to let it go and I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on with intention. I'm going to move on with intention so that I can create the life and affect the outcomes that I would really like to see happen in, in my life. Let me tell you something, folks. When you do that, when you choose to accept what has happened to you and you take the steps towards forgiveness and you work through that process, it is a process. It is a journey. The journey to forgiveness took me about 15 years to really fully let it go. But when you complete that process and you open your hands up for what the universe has in store for you moving forward, you will be pleasantly surprised, if not just completely shocked and awed by what is coming your way. You don't want to end it there. Thank you for listening. Uh, these are the types of insights that I share in my book, Anger Solutions, and of course, in the other books that I've written. These are also the types of discussions that we tend to have in the therapy room at Spa for the Soul. If you are struggling with past trauma, recent trauma, and you're feeling a lot of anger and hatred and bitterness inside, I encourage you to seek out a trauma-informed therapist. Find someone that you can talk to and process your pain with. They will come alongside you and walk through that journey of forgiveness with you. And they'll guide you along the way. So you don't have to do this alone. If you have experienced childhood sexual abuse from a family member, a peer, a teacher, a babysitter, whatever, again, I encourage you to seek out a therapist, seek out treatment. There are community options available for you through sexual assault support centers, and other agencies that can support you that are government funded. And if you have the funds to pay for private therapy, again, I encourage you to do this. You do not have to walk in that pain for the rest of your life. You do not have to spend the rest of your days slogging through a marsh made of molasses in rubber boots that are just sticking and glugging and, and holding you down. You can rise above it. You can get past it. Forgiveness is one of those key aspects of recovery that cannot be denied and cannot be ignored. I encourage you to start on that journey today. And if you need support, let us know. We'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Freedomology. I am Julie Christensen, the Anger Lady, your host, signing off and wishing you well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Freedomology. Please reach out to me. Let me know how you're enjoying the show. Do you have any suggestions for us? Any guests that you'd love for us to interview? 
You can share your feedback, thoughts, and comments with us on our Instagram page at leverage underscore you. That is leverage underscore you. While we appreciate open, honest communication, we please ask that you keep your comments respectful. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Until next time, this is your host, Julie Christensen, saying farewell, be well, and live well. Thanks for listening to Freedomology.